Lovely work. That was very nice. Yeah. Uh, when th this is my music musician brain that kicks in every once in a while. So when Linda stopped playing and they went a cappella and then she came back in, I'm like, oh, did they hold it? Did they hold it? And they did. It was lovely. It was great. Good work. Uh, the uh, the choral judge would give you a one. Good job. Very nice. Solo and ensemble. All right. It's that season anyway in schools. I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2 today. And this is a passage that um, it's kind of intimidating for a Baptist preacher to preach, honestly. Um, not that any passage is not intimidating to preach, because there is no way that I could be count-worthy count worthy except by the grace of God to speak His Word. And I think that's one of the things we have to remember about the opportunity we get to speak His Word is that He has given it to us to speak. It's a gift as it, in itself. But as we are singing today, um, and, and that every once in a while, uh, Greg and the crew pulls out one that I have never heard before. And that I and some of you had heard it before because you were singing it, but I and you can just call me young or whatever. I'm not as young as you think I am, but I'd never heard that Eagles Wings song before. Yeah, see? It was lovely, but I, I didn't know it. And that's good because the Lord says to sing a new song. And even sometimes the old songs are new. So Sometimes things get so old that they start coming back around new, right? It's always fun to me, and I can't think of a specific thing, but every once in a while, um, you run into some technology in, in, in your garage that uh, you, you realize somebody had a really clever use for about 50 years ago, and then we sit it in the, in the drawer and didn't get it back out. But all of a sudden you realize, well, that was, that was useful, we got that there. That's a good song. Also, later was song, a song I'm very familiar with, and I can't help but sing it and, um, and remember my dad, and that is Great is Thy Faithfulness. Um, my dad sang that at our wedding. And um, I remember him, I don't, my, a few people in here met my dad, people I'm related to generally. My dad had a big personality. Uh, if, have, if you've met Nathan, Nathan never met my dad, but you've almost met my dad, okay? Uh, he's a lot like that personality-wise, big personality. And um, either before or after that, I don't know, my dad tended to talk to the wall, so I don't remember when he said it. He said, I am so thankful I can sing this song at your wedding because it answers every prayer that I ever prayed for you. And um, when uh, my age now, my dad got really sick with heart disease and kind of just had a 20-year decline after that. And I pray that doesn't happen to me. I'm not saying it's going to, but um, it's just one of those things is reality. And his prayer, the week he had a heart attack in the hospital, was that he would see me graduate from high school. And he saw me graduate from seminary. He, didn't, he wasn't there because he was sick. But he saw that happening. God is faithful. Okay? And, I, and this is Greg's fault. I'm blaming him. But you sang the song. That's what got my brain going on it. It relates to where we are right now. Last week, two weeks ago, we talked the first chapter, first section of Acts, where we see the ascension of Christ and his great commission upon his followers. Last week, and I knew I'd get a lot of questions that I didn't have answers for. 
because everybody, not everybody, it seemed like everybody came up to me asking about, what about Judas? And I think I said that during the message. I don't know on some of these things with Judas. But the whole theme of the last part of Acts chapter 1 is they were waiting for something that they didn't really know what was going to happen until it did. Okay? No one in Acts chapter 1, save Jesus, knew what was going to happen in Acts chapter 2. Okay? We, in our lives, again, those three kind of generic answers to prayer are what? Yes, no, and we can deal with yes and no. We may get mad about no, but we can deal with it, right? What's the third one? Wait. Nobody likes to wait, right? So, they... 40 days after his resurrection, began the wait. And then on the 50th, what they were waiting for happened. And it was, it was the moment that changed the world forever. And so in Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at the first 13 verses this morning. <clears throat> and maybe, just maybe... When we leave here today, somebody will think we're filled with new wine, as it says at the end. Let's stand together and read those 13 verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. <clears throat> Sorry, I looked at something else. And they were bewildered just because there was one hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, and Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. Lord, teach us to trust you. And when we ask and you say, wait, May we find you in the waiting. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The day arrived. Now, this was a significant feast in the Jewish faith. And at this point in time, I, I got a map in there if, I, if it synced up like it's supposed to. Did it sync up like it's supposed to? There it is. Okay, it's very small. I realize this. But 
you can basically figure out that that's the Eastern Mediterranean Sea, right? And um, I know it's small. I'm sorry. If I could get five times the size of a television up there, I would, but that would cost about five times as much as this one did. So um, we see Jerusalem at the center of this map. And there were people, Jewish people, in what was called the diaspora, the, the scattered people throughout the existing Roman Empire of that time. So if you see some red area, all of those areas were represented in Luke's writing here in Acts chapter 2. There were people from literally all over the world who were Jews, the known world, that were Jews that had returned to Jerusalem for this day of Pentecost, the 50th day. What was it the 50th day after? Well, for us, we see it as the 50th day after the resurrection of Christ. Historically, that is accurate. For them, was that what they saw it as? It was not. It was called the Feast of Booths. And it was a day they came and recognized the giving of the law. And so when we see this, the, the, the Christ's crucifixion and resurrection happens the week of Passover, we see that celebration remembering God's release of the Jews from, or the Israelites from Egypt, right? Fifty days later, they gather and give thanks to God for the giving of the law. And that's why they had gathered in Jerusalem. And I thought that was an interesting thing, is one of the things God just drew out of the text for me here, is that at this moment, when the Jews came to remember what God had given them in the law, ultimately He gave them a day of fulfillment of the law. Because the promise was that the Messiah would come and that His Spirit would follow. And so what we see now is the culmination of Christ's resurrection and the empowering of the church for its mission. Now, we see and compare this passage sometimes to what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 as, he talks, as Paul talks about uh, praying in, in other tongues and, and, and in other languages and always needing an interpreter and things like that. But I think with careful examination, if you look at those two passages, we're talking about two different ideas. They're not the same moments. And that does not mean that the gift of tongues has ceased. I think it manifests itself in some certain ways in our, in our world today, but we'll get to that here in a moment. But what Paul is talking about at that moment in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, is how the Spirit works in the church and how to understand truth to that extent. And so if someone were to speak in tongues, they needed an interpreter because all words spoken in, in the church are to, meant to strengthen, to edify, to exhort, to encourage the church to fulfill its mission. And here... What we see is the culmination in Acts chapter 2 of Christ's ascension and his presence in the church to this day. Many people will pray for this day to come again. And I can understand why they would. It'd be pretty neat to experience it, right? 
be a little terrifying for some of us Baptists, right? But what we find here, what I, and what, the way I see this is the coming of the Holy Spirit is, do we need this to happen again? I hear some no's and I think you're right. Do we need the Holy Spirit at work in our lives? Yes. And that has much to do with our submission and our obedience to God's Word and living it out. But we don't need the Spirit to come again because He's already here. So let's look at this here. The 50 days we see this culmination of Christ's ministry and the coming of the Holy Spirit one of the culminations of his ministry, is, is a, is, I think is a parallel of celebrating the law. Because so much of, of what, well, everything that Christ did was in fulfillment of the law. And now in this moment, the Spirit comes upon the church to make much of Christ and proclaim the gospel to the nations. And I'm amazed by, by looking at this kind of thing because we see that we try to figure out a plan. And, and I think God gives us that responsibility to go into the nations. But all along the way, if you look at, I think if you're on, given an honest look to your own life, if you've truly trusted Christ as your Savior, you can see this kind of moment at work in your life. That God works through you in moments you don't expect Him to. And they were waiting. They didn't know what would come. But let's look at the text here because I'm going to start chasing more rabbits. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. How many of them? It says in verse 15 of chapter 1, there were about 120 people. Okay, so their number had multiplied by 10 from the disciples. Um, we see that they appointed, the disciples appointed Matthias to take that place of Judas. And now they continue to wait. At the day of Pentecost, they were all together in that one place. That one place was probably where they'd been, but it doesn't give a, an address. Okay? And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, we tend to think of the work of the Holy Spirit like a wind, right? In, and we even see it in John 3 is. As Jesus talks about the Spirit, the Spirit does what it will, right? Who can harness wind? I'm going to go catch me some and save it for later. You want to go out and try that? It's, it's going to be disappointing, right? So we think of this, this, this statement and we see the power of wind. And I shared in my article this morning a little bit about the, the effects of wind. And I've experienced a lot of wind in my day. And you live in Pueblo. We get some of it here too. But when you see wind, it is powerful. And you take notice. And sometimes it leaves a mark. You know, sometimes it'll blow a tree over. Sometimes it'll, it'll, it'll blow over. If you're driving south to Walsenburg, don't look at the side of the highways too often if you don't want to see trucks on their side in a windstorm. Wind is powerful. But here, we don't see the wind. We hear the sound. Now think about how weird that would be to hear it. Now we may not think of it as, as weird today because we can reproduce noise, right? Well, I could make the noise, I could make the sound of wind right now. We just put it through the speakers. 
And that day, they're just sitting there waiting, and all of a sudden, this rush of noise comes. And they might think something is different. Something is happening. And then, it fills the entire house where they were sitting. And then in verse 3, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. How many people were there? Well, again, if it's, if it's the whole crew that Peter's talking to, 120 people in a house, that's going to be a hot little box anyway. They didn't have the nice climate control that we have now, right? But the, while we might be able to accurately reproduce the noise of wind as, as playing it back in a recording right now, I have yet to see a realistic reproduction with all of our computer, computer technology and somebody will go, challenge accepted, let's try it. No, of what this looked like. We might be able to reproduce the sound, but I don't think we can reproduce what this actually looked like. It's an idea, perhaps, of what it could look like. But what they definitely knew is, I think at this moment, they knew this is the moment we've been waiting for. And what would happen next? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Gave them the power to do it. The Holy Spirit has been called the humble member of the Trinity. You know, we have God the Father who is the creator of all, the author of all creation, the Son, one with the Father, who is the redeemer of creation. He's the agent and the redeemer. And then we have the Spirit who guides us to that truth, to understand that. And that's a, that's a very buttoned-down picture of the Trinity because it's far larger than what we could ever imagine. But God, three in one, shows Himself here and how the Spirit as, is at work. And we might get a small picture here of what God wanted to, to understand, wanted us to understand about how Jesus had to go and fulfill the word that had been proclaimed about him. He said, if I stay here, the Spirit can't come. Jesus was the, is the fulfillment of of all prophecy, of all law, of all that we see God at work and doing in our world. And now we see that He is so large that hardly heaven can contain Him. The heavens themselves. And we see the Spirit come and fall upon them. And how it manifests itself, how it shows itself, is in, through the opportunity for those in, that pre in, in the presence of the disciples to hear the truth of the Lord. In verse 5 it says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. At this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own tongue. I'll come back to that in a second. But the next line shows why they were astonished with it. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, the Galileans 
if you look at the map. Oh, that's not a good map for it. Galileans were from, you know, another area. They might speak the same language, but it's really hard to understand what they are saying. Uh, 2006, I had that chance, I've shared with uh, before, to go to England and to Scotland. One of those life goals, the bucket list kick things. I'm like, I got to do that. I'm, why am I still here? But I got to go to England and Scotland in a seminary study program. And one of the things, when we went to Scotland, we just went for a few days. And we were in Oxford first. And we kept saying, we were told before we went by all the Texas professors in Fort Worth, to do not say Edinburgh. To be careful, say Edinburgh. And we're like, okay, we got this. So we're talking about this trip once we get to England with the group. And the, the Brit that's in the room, the guy who was our chef that we got a chance to witness to and uh, to love on, his name was Chris. He was, he was a sweet guy. We were talking with him and he goes, why do you say it like that? Edinburgh. And we're like, we were told to say it like that. So that's not how you say it. Okay, it's Edinburgh. I didn't hear the difference. Okay, you get where I'm coming from here? They did. And then when I went to Scotland, had a couple of different experiences that happened. Um, if you've heard somebody who's lived in Scotland their entire life and hasn't left, you might hear them speak English but it doesn't sound like it. And, and, I, and I like to, when I go to a new place, to talk to the locals to hear what they sound like. And I know they spoke English, so I, I talked to this fellow at the, at the bus stop and asked him what his name was. And he goes, okay. <laughs> exactly. So I asked him to say it again. Same results. And I asked him to spell it. D-O-U-G-I-E. That was not, okay. That's Dougie, right? And if this guy finds it on the internet 15, 20 years later, I, it was my bad. I didn't understand what you're saying. I don't know how he would. But you don't understand the language necessarily if they speak it in a different tone, right? In a different rhythm, in a different pattern, with different dialects. That's what was happening with the Galileans, is they might have spoken Greek, or they might have been speaking Aramaic, or they might have been speaking Hebrew, but they were speaking it with such a strong dialect that they really had to think about what they were saying. They might have even had to ask them to spell a few words, right? And now the locals in Jerusalem don't have a very good view of Galileans. They think that they are the second-class citizens, that they aren't as educated as those who live in Jerusalem. But these are the men who hung around with Jesus. And now, here they are speaking in all these different languages. How is this possible? And they give an example, and that's what the map is up there for. How is it that we hear each of us in his own language? All right? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, that's the furthest east, it's the Persian Empire, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, that's the central, Pontus, and Asia, which be the northern, 
Phrygia and Pamphylia. Let me make sure I get it right here. That's still up in Asia Minor, all right? And then we have Egypt and the parts of Lydia, Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. So they start heading west then. And just for good measure, we have forgotten about the, Cretes, the Cretans and the Arabians. The Cretans are on an island in the middle of the sea and the Arabians are on the big boots. People from all around the known world were hearing the gospel. Coming from the mouths of men who did not know how to speak those languages. And it was a manifestation of the Spirit in order that this diaspora, the dispersion, might quickly hear the word of the Lord. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, page over. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. While they might have had a strategic plan to head out there, guess what was happening already? It was happening because God made it so. And it's a beautiful thing to hear all kinds of languages put together. That same week when we were at the University of Edinburgh, I was staying probably on the third or fourth floor in a dorm room, and it was ghastly hot, as they would say. It was probably about 70 degrees in Edinburgh. It was so warm. Not Celsius either. It was fair enough. If it was Celsius, we'd be dead. So anyway, um, but it wasn't cool. And you had to have the window open to get some air blowing through. And if you have ever been north anywhere on earth in the summertime, what do you know about daylight? It sticks around. Okay. So at 11 o'clock at night, I'm trying to go to sleep. And I hear below me a multitude of people speaking all kinds of different languages. The, the university would rent out rooms like they did to us, and these groups were congregating as they saw fit down in the commons area that was below the room I was staying in. And it sounded amazing. It sounded wonderful. And that's the biggest picture I have of what might have been happening here. As you have the glory of the Lord in His creation with the Spirit speaking the truth of salvation. Speaking the gospel. How do we know it was the gospel? Because of the next passage. Okay? They were speaking of the, the love of the Lord. And God, while we are sitting there waiting for something to happen, He knew what He was doing and coming in that place and in that moment. Right? Wake you all up. Okay? He knew what He was doing. He waited those days because he knew there would be Jews from all over the known world to hear the fulfillment of the gospel through the message that Christ had given the disciples as they proclaimed the gospel. And all of a sudden, it made sense. And where were they heading next week? Back home. God had put together His plan to proclaim the gospel from the very start. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty amazing. I can't, and as we look at this, we tend to focus on the signs that that's how we knew the Spirit was there. Absolutely. And a lot of people want to wait for that to happen again, right? 
We don't need it to happen again because the Christ now is in us. And we just need to trust Him the way the disciples were in that moment. And proclaim the good news and bring that in a way that brings understanding to those around us. And that's a challenge. That's a moment of trust. You and I don't have the power to save anybody. The thing that we're called to do is to preach and proclaim the love of God. And God works in hearts in mysterious ways that we will never understand. What keeps the Holy Spirit from doing something like this again? Nothing. God can do what God wants to do. And other traditions in the Christian faith really get into the the giftings, and, and this is how you know that the Holy Spirit has come. Well, I love those brothers, and I love those sisters, but we have the Spirit. And we need the Spirit to, we, we need to give our lives to Christ to allow that Spirit to work through us. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit is, a, is an act of submission in our lives, too. Because the disciples didn't have to do these things, God gave them a choice. Now, you see Paul talk about it later that he was compelled by love to proclaim the gospel. And I believe that's where they are right here. They're compelled to preach it. But we need to understand that God is already at work in the world around us. Salvation, uh, the salvation of the world does not depend on me individually or on you individually. God has called us to be faithful in proclaiming the truth, to telling the world that He loves us, that John 3.16 is real. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And He calls us to proclaim that message, but He does not call us to save them. He calls us to love one another. He calls us to love them. He calls us to live out what we say we believe. Yes, but God alone saves. And that's what happened here, is that the Jews hear the fulfillment in the message. And they hear them telling the tongues and the mighty works of God in their own tongues. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? That word all, it's brilliantly generic, (laughs) because was everybody leaving the room with that same question? Maybe. Perhaps. Yeah. But I have a feeling that the disciples at that point, and you see Peter stand up here in the next passage and start preaching, the disciples understood this is what we have been waiting for. God at work in us doing something that we could never do ourselves. We can proclaim the word. We can reproduce the sound of a mighty rushing wind without the effects of that wind. We might be able to, on a video screen, try to see what flaming tongues of fire look like on somebody's head. But we will never cause it to happen. Because God has already done this here. 
We need a fresh renewal and understanding of the gospel, yes. And we need a, a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit, yes. But in this moment, all of those days in the whole Old Testament where, where uh, like the Spirit of the Lord would come upon David or it would come upon Samson or it would come upon whoever, at this moment, it came upon the church and those who place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And so, this moment is a once and for all completion that when you trust Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. He wants you to live this out. He wants you to be a proclaimer of the good news. And I believe that the, the, if we talk about the spiritual gift of tongues, I believe that there's purpose for it. And again, going into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, for the edification of the church, there has to be a uh, translator so somebody understands what's being said, not just incoherent babbling. But also, it's for the proclamation of the gospel. And I think a lot of the people I know that have the ability and the talent and the gifting to learn new languages might just have that gift. Because I can tell you, it's pretty hard for me to learn a new language. It means you've got to think differently. It means you have to start. I mean, it just takes years and years and years. But some people seem like they can do it just like that. A friend of mine knows four or five languages. Good. Praise the Lord. But man, that's... That's a gift from God. I mean, I can impersonate some other languages. I could sing a song where the words are there, but I don't. I, I got to work really hard to remember what all those words mean. And here they hear the gospel coming from the disciples in their heart language. Now, friends, if we need to pray for anything as we proclaim our faith, we need to live out humbly what God has called us to do in proclaiming the gospel because none of us deserves the chance to do that. That is a gift in itself. But we need to pray that the Holy Spirit is at work on the heart of those that we speak that truth to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because until the Holy Spirit brings that understanding, it's going to sound like babbling. You're not going to understand it. And sometimes we can use as plain a language as possible, and it goes into what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. We can speak in the tongues of men and angels, but we have not love. Nobody's going to hear what we say. It's like a resounding symbol. Christ has given us the opportunity and the privilege to proclaim the gospel. We need to pray for His Spirit to guide our hearts to speak truth in a way that brings life change and heart change. And I think that can change the way we pray for people too. I think we pray very selfishly most of the time. God, help me in this. God, do this for me. And I think that's okay. But I'm not sure how, how much that builds the kingdom. Are we praying for our neighbor that needs Christ? Are we looking for opportunities to share God's love? When people talk about what's happening in our church, are we giving testimony to what God is doing instead of just 
you know, well, we had a few more people here this week and a few less people here last week and, you know, it's going all right. You know, the, the question among the pastors is how many are you running, right? Well, that's, that can be an evidence of God at work, but that's not necessarily God at work. The question is, are our hearts changed by the truth that is the gospel? And when God gives us a task and he's given the church the task, he sets the stage. Remember, I have a voice that can speak in this room, that can speak in my sphere of influence in our community and in our world. But you know more people than I do. And then that person may know another person, and that person may know another person, or does know another person, not may know. Guess what happens then? It's, it's what they call the dispersion of the word. <laughs> Are we loving one another? Are we loving Christ? Are we proclaiming the truth of the gospel? Are we trusting him to bring fulfillment? They waited on God, and he did something amazing. And his spirit that came in that moment is the same spirit that dwells in me and you when we've trusted Christ as our Savior. And the devil's going to do everything he can to discourage us, to divide us, and we need to cling to the truth of the gospel that he's called us to proclaim it in our world. You want to see our community change? Let's trust God to do it. And when he does it, let's pay hallelujah. Let's go with belief that he is faithful in his goodness. Let's pray. Lord, you're good to us again. We lift that to you. We thank you that you, um, you guide us in your grace.